All in the Game with Neil Atkinson and David Downey. Everything and anything football. It's All in the Game on City Talk 105.9. Indeed, indeed, All in the Game. City Talk 105.9. <coughs> Neil Atkinson and David Downey with you until 7 o'clock. Oh, good evening, Dave. Um, well done, the Everton. Yeah, it was in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, winning, winning football matches. Horrendous game of football, though. It, it, I, I obviously didn't get to see the, the game of football. Uh, I believe it was dreadful. Yeah, it was. The the, fl- the, 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 the flair play league it wasn't at stake, I know that. The fair play league was, though. And um, we we dramatically lost it in the, in the greatest Everton way possible. So I, I deem that a success, because I think a lot of our players were bothered about winning it so I'm glad Gareth Barry went out there and kicked a few all over the park and got a yellow card and well, Brendan Galloway youngster coming into the side got stuck in and got a yellow card it just it seems outrageous to me anyway that Gareth Barry should be playing for a side that's that's at the the, the top echelon to the fair play league yeah. not because Gareth Barry is in any way shape or form a, a particularly unfair player just that he's a lad who loves a booking well this is the thing he's the reason why Evan aren't in it let's put it that way Gareth Barry single-handedly mean yeah. maybe you know Gaz might have his own agenda doesn't fancy a Season starting yeah. on July the second. He'll be he'll, he'll be celebrated by all of the players though for getting him an increased holiday over the summer because we'd have been back in for the second of July uh, playing Europa League football had Gareth Barry not been in the Everton side. But so he's had a fantastic season. As we, we always say though, Dave, at least it would have been a more competitive pre-season for Everton. Yeah, well that's the <laughs> that's Everton's big problem, isn't it? it? It turns out actually if we'd have qualified for it. But if we do, apparently there's still a slight chance uh, if West Ham go mental at Newcastle. Um, the, the Everton would have had to play Stoke in the Asia Cup on the same day we'd have played our Europa League qualifier. Well, so Martinez would have been torn. You know, you, you know when you get them friendlies where uh, Liverpool eleven will go and play mm. Kirby or someone. But like the actual Liverpool team will be playing a, a normal friendly somewhere else, and Martinez would have had to decide. I would have, I would have actually liked to have seen what he actually did. Which way in he that went? Circumstance, yeah. Which way he went? I think it's going to be a. It is throw, being thrown open here for Everton. I think uh, off, the, off the back of this result against uh, West Ham, it's, it'll be a shame not to have European football. And this is what I'm driving at here. If you know, if, it, if this was a way in for European football, it's a shame not to have it. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I've got two ways of thinking of it. Really, fan-wise, it's a massive disappointment because those chips are what everybody cherishes. They, they absolutely love them. Everybody embraces it, and it, it is a genuine journey for all the fans. Um, the, the personally the that Kiev defeat knocked the wind out of my sails and I think we need a lot more work before we sort of venture onto those uh, sort of levels again uh, which is really really sad to say who's to say it couldn't be next season we might go and put on like we did last year and, and, and be absolutely fantastic and look like a side that's primed to go and do well in, in, in Europe's second tier competition but uh, I, I, I'm glad to see that we won't be in it for, for a lot of different reasons than, than most because a lot of people are pointing to the fact you play younger players because you play, I think it's eight games before you get to the actual group stages. A lot of people say, well, there's where you blood the kids and you get them involved and all that sort of thing. But I, I still think it quickly becomes a competition in which Everton get heavily invested in really too early and far too early for my liking. I think there's a chance of burnout as well. We've seen, I mean, that's the, that the great example people are throwing at it is, well, it'll get this pre-season up and running far more quickly. We'll actually look at the World Cup that was a pre-season of sorts because players were back two, three weeks after the World Cup finishing. There was no decent rest period for the players, which there wouldn't be this summer. And we all seen the start that Everton made this season. So it, it, it's not for me, this. And, and 
I'm a traditionalist with, with football anyway. I don't want Everton anywhere near a competition that you've won by getting the least amount of yellow cards and <laughs> infringements against you. I think it's absolutely pathetic. I think that, that, that's that, and that's a massive part of it. And I do think it is such an early start. I mean, it's not just a slightly earlier start. It's such an early start. Uh, but regardless, talk me through Everton's, uh, Everton's victory. Down there in front of uh, Allardyce's crew. Uh, it, was, it had all the makings of a typical end-of-season game, really, apart from the fact that well, West, well, I actually, I think West Ham are the key to Everton actually doing something in the game because Everton were there to play it out. It was it was one of those that you you looked at and thought this side's just going to meander through this game. You take nil nil back home uh, with, with with a chance of winning a home against Spurs on the last day to get a top ten uh, space. Um, the the reality of it was West Ham played to their strengths as they do, quite direct. Downing was really good for them as well. Made an impact, scored a really good goal past Tim Howard. And it forced Everton to come out and play. Um, that and the exuberance of the likes of of Galloway, who was included. Mm. McGeady come on again and looked as if he had to make a point, and he really did, um, particularly at the place where everybody sort of started turning against him when he got sent off earlier this season. So... Um, it, it was interesting to see the dynamic change because West Ham sort of inflicted themselves well, upon Everton. Do you think there's something in that? I'm, I'm West Ham have managed to... I think it's fair to say that neither West Ham nor Swansea have had a great deal to play for yeah. as the season's wore on. And yet, West Ham have absolutely ground to a halt. And I do wonder if if you play the sort of football West Ham play, which is so high intensity, which is, you know, creates physical battles all over the pitch, then if you're not entirely at the races... And if, even if you're coming up against a side who themselves may not be entirely up for it, you almost provoke them into action. You almost shock them into going, I'm, I'm, we're not having this. We've yeah. got to do something about this. And if you're West Ham and you're, you're on top form and you're, you know, you're the, best, the best of being West Ham, for, you know, you're, you've not knocked off 1%, 2%, 3% because job's already done. You know, do you think there's an element of that there where suddenly you've actually, you're, now play, you're trying to play with intensity because that's what you do, but you have, actually haven't got enough intensity to see it right the way through, and suddenly now you've managed to wake these lot up. <laughs> and they're feeling pretty intense about things, and they're going to come at you now yeah. because they're, they're, they're not going to stand for any of this. Stop doing this. Well, particularly against a side like Everton as well, who, who sort of thrive on short bursts of intensity. Um, if, it, if it sort of riles Everton, then you know it's you know it's game on basically, uh, and that, that's the way it, it played out. Leon Osman's goal is absolutely fantastic, and not enough's been made of it by anybody this weekend. It's a phenomenal goal. It really is. If if one of the top strikers net that. Mm. then it, people are going wild because the touch, the turn and the finish are absolutely brilliant and it's what he's got in his locker. We've all, we all know this. Um, he, he's just probably a foot too short and a yard too slow um, to to have made an impact. On, uh, that's probably generalising his career a little too much. But uh, it was it was but fantastic. The, the technical ability was there for all to see. It was really good. And then, of course, McGeady um, pops up on the right wing. It's not the greatest cross you'll ever see, but... <laughs> It puts it on Lukaku's forehead, so it is. A, it, it does the job, and uh, he needed the goal. I think he went over a thousand minutes without a goal from open play before that one. So it was mu- it was much needed for him. Uh, it was much needed for Martin. Gets I think his numbers into great shape as well. It does, twenty. That's twenty for the season. Now that uh, you know, you could arguably say that he's hit, he's hit a target that he would have had um, by playing relatively relatively poor. For most parts of the season, but he's a goal scorer, and and that's um, a real confidence booster, I think, to most fans to see his striker not playing well, not getting the service he should have, and looking isolated in probably more than half the games in which he's played. Yet he's hit that level of twenty goals. So. 
plenty to to uh, plenty of food for thought for the future with him. I, I, the, the, the Lukaku thing is, he should be deemed, and this is where I'm going to talk in part two a little bit about Raheem Sterling um, in the context of him winning a little bit of an award from the cop at the weekend, but also in the in, in the context of. I think familiarity breeds contempt with young players, and I think Lukaku is still fundamentally a young footballer. Yeah. You know, for for, for he just turned twenty two this week. He's just turned twenty two for the position that he plays in, for what 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 he's being asked to do in terms of you know it's an every week job. This he's not getting he's not getting managed as 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 you'd expect a lad who's going twenty one to twenty two to get managed. And what happens is that you see him every week, you see him every week, you see him every week, and you begin to treat him just as one like everybody else. And the novelty of the of the footballer begins to wear off to a certain extent. And you forget to contextualise a lot of these performances in terms of well, he's just he's only just turned twenty two. Mm. In Sterling's case, he's only just turned twenty because for, I mean, you know, I think Sterling's now got over a hundred appearances for Liverpool. You know, as an example, <laughs> that, so, that is crazy. So you've you know you've now seen. I will double check that stat in the break, and I'll just make sure I'm right on that before we start talking. But Lukaku now has done. I think he's now probably done four proper seasons as a first team player across Europe. You know, he, he, he's not playing with. You know, he, he's he's not. He, at a lower level, he's not even gone and done what Harry Kane did, which is going to uh, periods on loan at lower league yeah. clubs. I'm talking about top flight European football. He's now at his fourth season, and you know, at some point, you've got to you've got to keep recognising that and stating that and saying, well, imagine where he'll be in three years. Imagine if he continues on this yeah. curve. If you can get 20 <clears> when <throat> you when you you're just turning 22, when you're effectively 21 for most of the season, who knows what you can do next? Sheer weight of games, I think, has come against him, and by that, I, I completely agree. The familiarity thing does sort of make you look at it as if well, oh, it's him again do you know what I mean It's oh, his touch is poor he needs to do this he needs to learn that fact of the matter is I checked up on it this morning he's played 80 games for Everton and scored 36 goals that's one hell of a return for a 22 year old in the Premier League that's one and two exactly and uh, that's the barometer by which uh, every top strike is measured if he's hitting that and he's not on form then it frightens you to think what he could actually do when he gets service and when he does start to fully mature as a player because like you say he's only just turned 22 uh, and, and he's, he suffers from that a bit I think the, the fact that people think that because he arrived on the scene so early and he is so familiar to them that he should have arrived a hell of a lot more than he has uh, and I think that's harsh it's easy to say when you look at some of the things he does on the pitch and when you look at the way Others don't play to his strengths. It's easy to say that he probably should have done a little bit better. But again, the the age thing does is is the be all and end all for me because I think ultimately what you, what you've got is a six foot four powerhouse. He's good in the air. He's good on the floor. He, he's got pretty much every attribute you want in a striker. Seven out of ten if he's playing at his max. So you know, twenty eight million pounds. That's the other thing as well. The familiarity thing. You forget Everton paid twenty eight million pounds for a footballer. That's never happened before um, to our club, and and yet it's a thing that's constantly used to batter him with when he doesn't play well and when he doesn't score. Of course. So there's that that added branch of pressure that that sort of heaped upon him as well. I I, I think he, he's brilliant, and I, I really hope that um, Martinez uses him as part of a nucleus to build around uh, in his time at Everton. And lastly, the lad making his debut, Galloway. Very impressed, yeah. He was uh, what I was. I've been sort of calling for for the last few weeks is getting some of these lads in, proving them. The sad thing is, this comes with a big caveat that it was probably the end of Luke Garbutt, um, because there's no no sign this contract situation sorted. He was next in line, the heir apparent to Leighton Baines, and then when he gets his chance, Baines is injured and out until until next season, obviously. 
he gives it to another lad who, who hasn't played yet, which was phenomenal for him. It was really, really good to see. Put in a really competent performance. Tough against Downing as well, experienced Premier League winger. Um, didn't let him get the better of him too much or to any extent that I can think of. Uh, the goal comes when Downing's on, on, on the inside of him. It wasn't his job. He was covering the outside runner. Um, and he was he looked very competent, he did, but again it's a touch of sadness because if it is if Luke Garbett's played his last game for Everton then it, it really is a travesty, it really is. And a lot of people need to look harder look into the mirror hard at themselves this summer if if he has played his last game. Do you think that's very likely now, given the fact yeah. that without shadow I, I think he has. Um simply because of the way Martinez was talking about it as well. He he came out and said that he he wants what's best for the player. Um, hinted at all the usual things where you think, "Hang on, if he left here, the manager sort of said that in a subliminal way." So it, it, it looks very likely, and and I think his most likely destinations across the park as well. So uh, that's not based on anything at all. It's it, well, based personally, it's based on. Uh, the, I hate to sound like I'm Guillaume Balaguer or someone, but I, I've I've been told by people who would know that sort of thing that Liverpool are heavily heavily. In, in, interested in him so I would think that it would make a lot of sense for him as well because he's not an Evertonian he's no obligation he's no great tradition playing for Everton either so I don't think it would be a difficult move and I don't think many Evertonians are blaming him either Well, is this simply because he didn't get the opportunities that you think he should have got um, Galloway's got this chance here and, yeah. and, and, and he's impressed I mean it, it may well be that there's been a uh, through the contract negotiation process that there's been a voice saying well there's this other lad you know he's a couple of years younger but he's, he's good you know <coughs> yeah, it's, it's they, can't, they can't all play left back and we've got Leighton Baines because that, I think sometimes you can be unlucky as a player to come through at a certain yeah. club at a certain time and I think that the problem that Garbutt's got is that Baines is obviously one of Martinez's most important players it's difficult to get them both on the pitch at the same time because you don't really want either as a left mid so you've got to pick and you obviously you know as you pick the senior pro that's what you do that's what the senior pro is yeah. there for it could be that you know Galloway's got the look in terms of the time and IA he's 19 now keeps getting League Cup games Europa League games whatever else mm-hmm. it is games here and there when Baines isn't fully fit then by the time Baines is 32 he's now ready to come through whereas Garbutt can't hang on do you know what I mean? Sometimes yeah, these that, things just happen. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Garbutt's been there a couple of years longer than, than Galloway as well, which obviously adds sort of insult to the injury, if you like, because he's been waiting in the wings far longer. Um, the other ultimate slap in the face to him would be that Galloway's actually a centre-half. Uh, and, and come in and play left back. So there's, you know, Martin has actually repositioned the lad right, to play. I, left so I thought back. the lad was a left back. No, uh, he come from MK Dons as as a centre back by all accounts. And uh, yeah, it, it'd be it'd be very sad. But it, I, I think this sort of it, it stinks of this sort of short term or lack of any mentality of um, you know plan at Everton. And it, it really does. It, it, it's another another in, you know poor indication of of how the club is sort of meandering through things at the moment because this should have been sorted out a, a long, long time ago. Uh, if only for the sake of keeping him nailed down to get on to get a decent sell on value. I mean, I was talking to Sangi in the last hour and he was telling me about how tribunals work with players and how they're ultimately valued by a panel and things like that. Everton don't really have much weight in that because he hasn't played. He hasn't been offered a, a you know a, a substantial contract. So. Why would the tribunal rule that he's worth X amount of million pounds? It's not going to be the case. So it, it really, it really saddens me, and I do look at Luke Garbutt with a lot of regret. Having said that, you know you've got Leighton Baines there, and the, the thing with me, Baines is thirty years old now. So the, these lads need to be tied down, and, and the, the great irony in Baines' situation is he's seen this all himself, because when he first came to the club, Nuno Valente was Everton's number one left back, and then it was Jolie and Lescott. 
Baines didn't get in for I think I'm, I'm right in saying two seasons before he became Everton's consistent left back uh, and, and there was a lot of talk around the time I remember of him leaving as well the, the best thing for Luke Garber personally I think would be to sign with Everton and go on loan somewhere uh, Bournemouth was touted initially before Martinez's latest comments I, th- I think that would be hugely beneficial for him we see him the same on the other side with Seamus Coleman he went to Blackpool when they come up in their, in their playoff winning season mm. really matured as a player come back to his right wing again there's another another funny thing in that as well there's, there's every reason Garber could play in the same side as Leighton Baines as, as an option if only to take set pieces even because he, he, he's, he's that good at them Um so it's it's a real mess at the moment, Neil, and, and I think with everything else that's going to be going on this summer, you just Everton, don't want to give yourself another problem. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a, it's a, a headache that Everton don't need to have, and and, and I feel it. Well, it has already started. Okay, City Talk One Five Point Nine, all in the game. Neil Atkinson and David Downey with you until seven o'clock. We'll talk about Liverpool after the break. It's all in the game with David Downey and Neil Atkinson. On City Talk 105.9. It is indeed City Talk 105.9. Neil Atkinson and David Downey with you until 7 o'clock. Um, Liverpool then against Crystal Palace, Dave. Obviously, it was a game that was on the telly. Everyone got to see it. Um, it was quite a funny occasion, as, as a lot of Liverpool games have recently been, in terms of a side that um, just has got no specific identity when it comes to the final third they've got loads of identity in the middle third of the pitch Liverpool they're very very good at the middle third uh, they're just, they just they can get themselves into quite neat positions in and around the box but as ever the same frustration every single time that little last thing that needs to happen around in and around the penalty area in and around the goal is just not there for them absolutely not and it, it, you know it's um, it, it's hard to watch sometimes because they do do that uh, everything else quite competent they, they look fine doing everything else they look like like, you know, a, a typical top four side. There's intensity and energy in the midfield area. Uh, and, you know, Henderson, Coutinho, Lalana as well. And when when Lalana's looking as uh, uh, looking like the main goal scoring threat, I think that that is, you know, warning signs in your face that there are issues here with with the Liverpool as an attacking force. Not simply because Lalana's not a striker, but simply because there's nobody else sitting there taking over, looking like. Any anything likely that is going to happen in front of goal, and by that I mean in Sterling. I, I understand he'll, he'll probably be given a job to do yesterday, and you'll have seen it a lot better than me being at the ground. But you know he, he's been asked to play as a striker, has he not? For, for large part, uh, what sort of percentage of the season would you see say Sterling's been? He's probably uh, he's probably played. I'd say at least a third of his games, sort of either up front or mm. set centrally and off the front. And and I think it's it's a case of. Liverpool shooting themselves in the foot in that regard because the, the strikers there, the striking options there, as, as poor as they may seem to most fans and as laughable as as, as a Barini may seem, they're still relevant. Alternative. Why do you think he's not? Why do you think he's not looking at Barini at all? Well, see, well, obviously there's an agenda there to get rid of him. And I think that that's the main. Re- I think. Yeah. I think you just seem. I think. Well, okay, bad example, but Balotelli. Well, firstly, if he wanted a Balotelli as well, then he's got the same problem there. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, he's got the same problem there, so there's that. But I think also Balotelli, they, they, I don't think that Balotelli's teammates like playing football with Balotelli. Mm-hmm. I think all season Rodgers has been locked in this issue where Liverpool have ended up in a situation where the most important footballers um, are some combination of Sterling, Coutinho and Henderson. And each of them is best seen as a footballer who should serve somebody else. You should serve another player, a goal scorer, and and that it would ideally be a goal scorer. Yeah, be be, be at least one, maybe even two more, t- more players who, who are better suited to putting the ball in the back of the net mm. who are on the pitch on a regular basis. Yeah, and this is, 
for all the quality that all three of them have, and they're, they're all quite different footballers, but they're all very much footballers who who look more like providers than anything else. And when you've got that situation where there's three of them there, there's three of them who want to provide, and they don't they don't fit with any of the players they're being lined up to provide to. Um, so, I mean, there's there's two ways to look at this, really. One is that Brendan Rodgers could have, and I, this goes right the way back to September, and, and, and it could be the better way. Let's remember that Liverpool are fifth through this conversation, but it could have been the better way, is what Brendan Rodgers could have done, and I think he tried to do this for a little while, was say to those lads, you need to play in a manner that suits... Lambert, you need to play in a manner that suits Balotelli, you need to play in a manager, manner that suits Barini, not that you saw much of him around that period but if you look at that that period from say mid-September to about mid, mid-November, mid Liverpool were trying to play in a manner which suited whichever, whichever centre forward it was that they were picking and then I think what's happened is Rodgers has gone but whoever it is I'm picking there they're not my, it's not my best player, my best player is Sterling, and my best player is Coutinho, and my best player is Henderson, and we've got I've got to find a way to get the best out of those lads because it's them that I'm trying to build this team around over the next three, four, five seasons, not just to get through this bit. And this is where I think, therefore, you're then saying to Balotelli, well, you can play up front, but you've got to do it on our terms, on their terms. You've got to do it on the terms of Coutinho, Sterling, and, and Henderson. And I think Balotelli has... Well, this makes it sound like he's, it's a deliberate decision. I think Balotelli's gone, well, I can't do that. And then, therefore, you're in this position where you're going, well, who can actually... And I, I thought it was a big move to actually to, to not play Lambert because whilst I think Lambert is is obviously as limited as he is for a variety of reasons, and, and limited makes it sound so harsh because there's clearly a really a good, intelligent footballer there, but whilst he's not, you know, there's the clear sort of physical aspect in terms of him not having pace to cover the ground, he was at least trying to do the sensible things against Chelsea, the things that his teammates would want him to do. Mm. And he's, he's, he's not being picked, and I think that's a bit harsh, and I think that maybe he should have started. But that's the thought process, I think, is which of them would it be best to, 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 with all the shortcomings, with all the things that are wrong, to force into that gap? And all season, Liverpool will be making a series of decisions, and for a period of time, it was Sterling for a variety of reasons. Then it be, stopped to be Sterling, because at least because I think Sterling himself needed a break from it. Uh, then it became, try to get it going again with Balotelli. There's a game in there that when we go to Aston Villa, where from nowhere Barini starts and scores, that one's dropped in. He also starts against Sunderland and, uh, and has a couple of chances, but then it disappears again because they're back to trying to get him out of the club because he doesn't want to go anywhere and I think all season this this compromise and I feel like I'm almost boring myself on it now but this compromise at the top end of the pitch it's indicative of, of what football actually is and I think that this is, you know, it's. The, it, I'm, I've seen from the previous show. I didn't listen to the previous show, but I've seen that you've been picking a Premier League eleven, mm. and this Premier League eleven is fascinating because you, you basically you've picked a back four, then you picked Matic, and then you picked Hazard, you picked Sanchez, you picked Costa, you picked Kane, and you picked Aguero. So you've not actually picked a centre mid. You picked a holder midfielder, yeah. and you've not actually picked a centre mid. Yeah. And I think that the way the way football's now gone in the Premier League, I actually struggle. I think Herrera's impressed for United this season. I think Cazola is he a centre mid isn't he not quite sure uh, but I'm, I struggle Fabregas started the season really strongly but then really did go off the boil normally in times gone by you can define top sides by what the centre midfielders do Yaya Torre is not being, not being very good at all for Manchester City and we're now in an area of Premier League football where midfield for one, one reason or another it could just simply be quality it could be you know the way in which the speed of transition that there is but midfields are just facilitating and they're just bypassed and Liverpool at Anfield we, we gave a 
Belton rendition out uh, at the weekend to, uh, we've got the greatest midfield in the world. We've got Xabi Alonso, Momo Sissoko, Gerard and Mascherano. And if, the, if you had those four now, as in the period when that song was first getting sung, it'd be the best midfield in the country mm. by a mile, by an absolute country mile. Yeah. But would it still win the league? Because you'd still have the same question marks around. Your most your focal points are mm. Diego Costa. You're playing a manner that will get Diego Costa doing what Diego Costa's good at and scoring his key goals. Hazard getting playing and scoring his key goals. You relegate someone with the quality of uh, I've even forgotten lad's name, Oscar for Chelsea and you turn him into a little more than a yard dog a slightly better yard dog classier yard dog a pedigree yard dog yeah. it, so that you can get, get hazards running and running and running at people all game but doesn't this add to the argument then that Rodgers has made the mistake by not at least persisting with a striker for an X amount of games I know you, you, you've touched upon like Barini's been in for a couple Balotelli's been tried even Lambert's been thrown in Sturridge went fit as a, been the obvious option but you know you, you said he's almost made this sacrifice as to appease that midfield trio that you mentioned yeah I think I think so but I think what he, I think one of those sacri- one of those compromises though was the idea of putting Sterling there right. so saying Sterling as a hybrid sort of yeah and, and, and also because he's one of our best players you, yeah. you rank Liverpool's best players he's in the top three names on the list so he just goes there and he plays there and that's where he does his football and he'll just do his football there and he'll just keep doing it but then you've got a problem there which is that Sterling's not come through as a centre forward and also when things don't begin to go well for him and there's this contract talk and there's all the complexities of that is he psychologically resilient enough to be the sort of fellow who like Diego Costa will say well if I miss three I don't care because I'll score the fourth mm. and have that sort of mentality and I think that that's where I think Sterling's found you know he's, he's fallen short himself a little bit but I also think the way in which he's treated you know, it hasn't been great either by the supporters. And I understand, therefore, why the manager's gone, which he has done in, the, in recent weeks. I'm just pulling him out of that. Pull him out, get him, get him into a wide area and don't don't, don't have him be that focal mm. point. Have him join and have a little look at that. But this is the this is the over, the overall problem that sort of, that, that Liverpool have had. It is, you know, Spurs are six. The reason why Spurs are sixth and Southampton are seventh is probably that Harry Kane kept scoring for longer than Pele. Mm. That's probably the main reason why Spurs are sixth yeah. and, and, and Southampton are seventh. Um as I say, you look above Liverpool, Aguero's just kept kept putting the ball in the back of the net. Uh, Sanchez has, has, has remained dangerous throughout the entirety of the season. Obviously, there's Costa's blasted Chelsea into the early position of superiority. You look at Lukaku on a less, lesser level as no, well. Paul does out of the mire. It's not, it, it, yeah, it's, uh, and, and, you know, Everton aren't, aren't going to finish in the end that many points behind Liverpool. It's probably going to be somewhere between 15 and 18 points mm. now. And you, you, this is... Those players, and it's all—it's felt reductive my entire life of watching football, and this is why one of the things why I'm boring myself on it now is because I used to say, no, no, you don't, don't get hung up on that control games. Look after games through the centre of midfield. Yeah. That's where your business is. And as a Liverpool support, be solid. You know, under Julia, it's be solid. Be solid and look to get something. Under Benitez, it's control games. You'll have your solidity through being in constant control of these football matches. But the aim of the enterprise remains getting the round thing into the rectangular thing. And this is where you've got to be able to do that and one of the reasons why the way Julier for instance used to set Liverpool up worked was because his four striking options were Fowler Owen uh, Heskey and Lippmann, uh in the treble season you know and any one of them at that period of their career now would be starting every week for this Liverpool side and would be you know and would be would make a profound difference mm. to this Liverpool side um, but you can then say well we can just do two banks of four and sit in and be horrible everywhere we go we can go to Roma and stop them from playing and just frustrate them frustrate them frustrate them because at some point Michael will get a run once he's got a run he's got massive pace and once he's got massive pace he's in front of the he's in front of the goalkeeper and we back him to score mm. and no matter what you do if you can't trust 
not even to get 20, if you can't point at a centre forward that you're picking and say, he's going to get me somewhere between 10 to 15 which Liverpool have not had in terms of getting them to play with the other players. Some of these lads, you know, they did well last season. Barini got himself 10 in all comps for Sunderland. Uh, Balotelli got himself circa 15, and I think Lambert did pretty well for Southampton. But then, you've, you're then as a manager, you're putting this, this crux of a position, which is we either serve these lads who are nowhere near as good. And I, the thing I'll always say is, that's a tough sell in the dressing room. At the minute, there's a frustration watching Philip Coutinho. We haven't talked about Gerard yet. At the minute, there's a frustration talk, talking about Philip Coutinho. Um, watching him play where he's now got to the point which I think a lot of players do where he's looking at his teammates and he's basically deciding who he's passing to based upon how good he thinks they are and he's now at that stage this season where he's he's obviously gone through so many games where he's been Liverpool's best player by a distance the second best player has been probably some combination of Henderson or Sterling and you see him now and he's got the ball under his feet and he's looking at it and he's going I can't bother passing to him what's the mm. point I won't see it back I, we're not going to go anywhere I might as well try something I might as well try a shot mm. and this all of this you can say well just lash Barini up front just basically say you know mid-September we're just going to persevere with Barini but then you're saying to Coutinho you need to work with him because that's the way this works that's the only way this relationship works it doesn't work the other way around it never has you know Kenny Dalglish is Liverpool's greatest ever player but Kenny Dalglish served Ian Rush mm. when, when Kenny Dalglish was no longer the main forward you serve Ian Rush Peter Beardsley was a lovely glorious footballer but he served John Aldridge you know and John because John Aldridge's job was the round thing into the rectangular thing that's my job that's the thing I, that's the bit that I do and that's the way this, <clears> that's <throat> the way football teams work there is that inherent hierarchy of, in terms of this is what you do so you're tend to Philip Coutinho because Peter Beardsley can say well, I like John Aldridge, he's a great finish, he's a really good player, works hard, he's got great movements. You know, I, I can work with him all day. But you want to say to Coutinho, you might be terrific, you might be the, the, the player Liverpool in the Brazilian squads, you've been touted all your life, but we really need you to just do what Fabio needs. And that's the that's yeah. the the difficult the difficulty that you end up in. Whereas, mm. you, if you if you parachute Lukaku into Liverpool's side, then you got to, you can say to Sterling and Coutinho, well, you need to, you need to work with this lad. This lad, he's, he's a cracking player. He's a really good footballer. Yeah. He'll make runs for you all day. He'll look lively. You're going to work with him. And I think that that's where Liverpool have ended up this season. And that's one of the things that's killed you watching them so often is that you've you you can't. You can't cheat that. You can cheat, and I think that what one of the there's a mentality thing as well as uh, as an, an actual the, the physicality of actually getting the ball to a striker, isn't it? If you're, yeah. If you're saying Coutinho sitting there thinking, well, hang on, I'm not going to pass to him. It's just going to break down. It's a waste of time. That that surely then is a manager's job to get to get him. Does that? But I think performing with that player. But there's also you, you talk about ego and arrogance, and we talk about that a lot. And I think, but I think that full stop, there is the, such a thing as the arrogance of the number nine. Yeah. But it's quite difficult to be an arrogant number nine if your number ten's far better than you. And 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 and, and vice versa. If you know, if as a number ten, there's this fella and he's screaming for it, and you're thinking, well, what's the point? What's the point? So you, you go back to if you go back to what you were saying about Dalglish and, and Beardsley, there was an acceptance from them, or almost a. They knew they were better, They were, but their actual role that made them better was to save these... But strikers. also that there's a point giving it to, there's a point giving it to Ian Rush, because he's brilliant. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm Kenny Dalglish, and I'm, and I'm utterly magnificent, and I'm probably the greatest player ever right. to play for Liverpool. But there's a point giving it to Ian Rush, because he's, he's pretty good as well. You know what I mean? He's, yeah. you look, you've got to look at the goal record. It doesn't feel as though you're not picking it up 25, 30 yards from goal, looking up. It's not just the centre-forward, but if you continue, you're not picking it up 25, 30 yards from goal, going, well, I could square it to Moreno. He was in a better position than me and not marked. Or I could get out from under my feet and see if I can have a shot. Because, well, what's the end product likely to be here? And, and we all so know... The sad thing is, he's right. 
you know what I mean? Well, that, that's, that's the thing about it, isn't it? That's the problem, which is that it's, it must be quite difficult to talk him out of it. Yeah. Because, well, firstly, I've blamed a few in recently. Secondly, I don't want you to to feel as though you've got to, you know, you've got to, you've got, you've got, you've got to make the the safer decision. I don't necessarily want that for me footballers. Yeah. But there is this, and I think that at the minute, I thought the weekend's game was a really good example for Liverpool of one of the big problems that they've got, which is that the number of times, and I, I think I said this last week, and I'm going to keep saying this. If you get to the byline as a footballer, you want an easy option. You've got to take so much information in. As I say, we've all played. You get to the byline, you've got lads all around you, they're lads. You want to go, where's he? Whoever he is, you want to go, where's yeah. he? And Liverpool have got a problem, which is that Sterling, for all of his strengths, and he's, he doesn't deserve the, the stick he gets at all, but he's not him. He's not a capitalised him. Suarez was one of them. Sturridge is one of them. Lukaku's one of them. Where if, you know, if you've got any doubt, if you're Jordan Ibe, and it happened to Jordan Ibe twice at the weekend, if you're Jordan Ibe and you get to the byline, you want to look up and you want to you just go, I'm looking for one thing. Him. Him. The him that does the next bit. Now that I've done this bit, the him that does the next bit. And that simplifies your decision-making process. Because he is, if he is that player, whoever he is, then his movement's likely to be very, very good. He's likely to be already be looking for a yard, and you can just go, boom. You haven't got to, you must think about it. There it is. That's the thing. And by not having a him, by not having that presence that demands the ball in the penalty area in front of the sticks, what you're doing is, listen, you could try and play the ball five times, and it, it not come off you could still give it away but you at least know what the purpose of the ball is yeah. you know what I mean you've still got that clarity and you're still able to do it almost instinctively I'm looking up where's my number 9 yeah. give it to me number 9 my number nine's going to solve this but it then becomes a punt if that person's not there doesn't if it? that person's not there what you're looking up for and you're saying well I've got Henderson he's just dropped off there to the back post and I've got Coutinho and I've got this and I've got this and which ones do I do and I just sort of lost it a bit or I had a shot or I scuffed at myself yeah. and, and and you can always say sorry mate yes yeah, sorry shot sorry. Come cross there's, yeah, yeah there's loads of that that's going on. Whereas, you know, the, th the good thing about passing to Luis Suarez was if you tried to pass to Luis Suarez, um, He's not. He's not going to shout at you. Mm. He's going to take. He's going to take responsibility for the situation. And Liverpool are full of lads. And there's a lot of talk of character at the minute. We're going to go to the break in a second. A lot of talk about character in Liverpool at the moment. I think Liverpool are full of lads who are taking responsibility for stuff right up to the point you get to the penalty area. I think this idea that Liverpool have got absolutely no character, I think, is quite harsh. Mm. But I think. But they have. But in in specific instances, they're lacking a specific bit of character. So, for instance, when they're up against players who an eleven against an eleven are better than them. In, in paper form and they're beginning to express that I think Liverpool have lacked character in that situation this season to, to, to be able to go let's get through the next five let's get through the next ten and then we should be able to quite forensically begin to find our way through the game I think they've lacked character in that instance but another instance in which they lack character is the fella in the penalty area is that that presence of if you're Jordan Ibe you haven't got a goal or an assist to your name yet you get to the byline by going past three that, that player who if you just put it near him no one can say what were you doing there because you can say, well, I was trying, I was trying to feed me striker, you know, and and, and that's that is doing what you paid to do. Well, simplifying your processes, yeah. and you know, in, in, a, in a really clear, you know, in a footballing sense, it's just simplifying your processes, and then, and I thought you actually, did, and the converse of this, just before we do go to the break to talk about Gerard, was I actually thought you saw some of that on Saturday, and it was completely wrong-headed in terms of people looking for Gerard trying to set him up yeah. when it when it wasn't possible. But what you've got there is it, it, Gerard just he just began to fill this role of him. 
So then you've got lads looking up and Jordan and Jordan Henderson doing a really mad thing. I said he was in on goal. He wasn't quite in on goal, but when he, you know, it's under his feet. It's there to be struck a goal in the second half. Liverpool popped it round dead quick. It's in the penalty area, and he looks to lay it back one more time. And you're thinking, Jordan, that's your chance, mate. You've, you you should just yeah. strike that and, and and empty that. But what he's but there's another him now. But it's a weird him because he's ten yards behind me. Yeah, he's not he's not he's not between the sticks in front of the six yard box, mm-hmm. going just anywhere near me, and I'll I'll launch myself at it. And it's quite difficult, as I say, if. if if you almost view the, fo- the, the the number nine in a football team as God and capitalise the letter H when you refer to it and think of him as him and then think of yourself when you've played, when you approach the final third, you just look for that player. That's yeah. all you do. You know, you yeah. just look for and that player. Level, it was always that kid who's better than you, isn't yeah. it? It's that lad. It's that lad. Yeah. And, and it's, it's looking for that lad and going, where's that lad? Where's he going to be? How do I help that lad? And that's what Liverpool have effectively played. Somehow have effectively got themselves into a situation where they've now played 37 league games where that lad's only been on the pitch about six times in storage. It's all in the game, Neil Atkinson and David Darnie. Be with you after the break. Uh, Dave Downey went just talk Neil it's uh, all in the game Neil Atkinson and Dave Downey with you until uh, 7 o'clock this system chose to restart itself um, so we've, we, we'll restart ourselves too um, Dave Leicester stay up we did not see that coming eight weeks ago it was unbelievable it really was and, uh, and I'm, I am really sad that it, it just looks like it's going to peter out because I can't see Hull getting anything out of United at home uh, even if they do, Newcastle will probably beat West Ham. The due one, due a point at least. So I, I think there's no. There's so the thing is, Hull have to win. That's that's the big big problem well, the, in all the, of this. Well, but I think that's the clarity of the situation. Though again, so it, it's good to know what you've got to do. Mm. Hull have got to beat Manchester United and then hope hope that everything else works for them. But can well, United still finish higher than where they are? Um, I don't I realistically know. It's a lot that depends on what Arsenal do to Sunderland. Uh, right. Arsenal have got Sunderland midweek this week. Because the funny one is Sunderland, isn't it? Because they've got Arsenal away, Chelsea away, so they've conceivably finished. If if, if, if the law of averages is correct, they they've finished. So. Would that put them in? Uh, would they be in jeopardy there then? If well, that, that I mean, if Hull win and Newcastle uh, and Newcastle, if, if Hull win and Newcastle get a point, there's every chance um, Sunderland go down on, on so goal difference. The, interesting with the bookies, obviously Hull are like massively odds on, but other than that, Newcastle eleven to two, and Sunderland are sixteen to one. I think that could be smart money there the for pound, right there. But it might, but there might be a thought process here that Sunderland might just get a point from either of Arsenal or um, from either Arsenal or. Uh, the other lost Chelsea uh, completely forgot there. No, I think I think it's going to be a, a, a whole situation. At least has the benefit of being straightforward. Sunderland, no, they just need one point from two games to mm. pop them up onto thirty-eight points. Um, and then Newcastle, obviously. I mean, Newcastle situation is theoretically straightforward as well. It is as simple as beat just just, just you know just beat West Ham. But Newcastle. I'm stunned by Newcastle's results against QPR after they go ahead. It's after they go ahead, I yeah. think, it's the massive thing there. They have a couple of good chances as well after that. Well, I was when I just saw that when I saw, on Saturday afternoon when I was just keeping an eye on the results and I saw that one, I thought, well, that, that that's the one they need. They've got the point last week and now they've got this. This, this is what they needed just to get over the line. To, to fall at that stage, I think... I, 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 think I, I do think if Hull win, they'll stay up. Do you think so? Yeah, I think if Hull win, they'll stay up. West Ham at home, though. But, but firstly, you're not telling me Allardyce wouldn't love to stick it to them. Yeah, and uh, it's the last game for West Ham as well. It's the last game for West Ham. I mean, I think it's it could be the most the most. Uh, it, I mean, that game could go in any direction. It could end up being a fiercely contested. It could also end up just being, you know, weak as kittens. You're talking me into eleven to two. You know, when I'm talking to eleven to two. I just think I think if Hull. Uh, 
I think if Hull were to win and 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 not go and not stay up, then I think they could class themselves as mildly unfortunate. You know, I think they could look around and go. I think any way to get relegated on thirty-seven points would be harsh. You know, I think the last few seasons thirty-seven points has been enough to see to, to, to see to see you get away with it. So I think that's the key one. The other the other fascinating game as well is obviously the uh, the playoff final, which is uh, a week a week today. Yeah. Um, Middlesbrough versus Norwich. I think it's the playoff Best final. Two sides, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's the playoff final. I've wants to see, uh, you know, in terms of the in terms of the your options mm. there, and I think that they you know, regardless, I do think, and um, you say this, you say this sometimes, and you 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 end up looking daft. But I'm glad Leicester have got out because I think it's a shame if the three that come up are the three that go. Yeah. But the next part of this though is I think I do think that we've got three stronger sides than coming up than we've had for a fair I think that having gone through the crucible of the championship this year where it isn't like one side runs away with it mm. a, a second side grabs second almost by default and then the playoffs is a lottery properly earned doesn't it this one I think it has and I think that's one of the reasons why both Middlesbrough and Norwich came third and fourth were clearly the third and fourth best sides in the division it will be devastating one of those that doesn't come up though it'll be absolutely devastating it'll be heartbreaking I think yeah. it'll probably have a more profound impact on Norwich because I think Norwich have got a lot of players who are probably good enough for the Premier League who've done one year with Norwich who've hung on for one year I think they've got four or five lads there who you know you could imagine have, getting a run in, in a Premier League side um, quite easily you know mm. there's, there's potential knocking around they've been they're very much bottom half Premier League players but they're probably Premier League players and that, that category of football I've always uh, I've always likened it to Darren Huckabee of lads who look far too good for the Championship but not you can't ever quite work out if they're good enough for the Premier League they've got yeah. a few of them and I think they lose them whereas middle but as better players, many of them are on loan anyway. Yeah. So I think that they, you know, they're obviously going to lose them regardless, and then they can work on that going forward. But I think that having gone through that this season, I think that we're fortunate. As I say, I'm glad. I'm genu- I am genuinely glad that um, that it's become these two in the final because I do think that any three of that top four, you wouldn't. Did none of them feel like automatic bankers to go straight back down? Yes. Realistically speaking, one of them will uh, because that's just the law of averages. But what I'm driving at here is if Newcastle, Sunderland, Hull, whatever combination of them, um, Villa get away with it this season, maybe even include West Brom on that list, whatever combination of them get away with it this season, I don't think they're going to get away with it next season. I don't think. I, I think it's going to be. A, it's going to be tougher again next season. And that's the feeling with Newcastle, isn't it? It is actually getting away with it because they've been horrendous and. You, you, it's. I don't like Newcastle personally as a football club. Uh, I think one of those weird ones. You know, do you remember that time I was on the Anfield rap and Mike Nevin had sort of a, a Nottingham Forest thing. A Nottingham Forest. Thing. Yeah, Everton and Newcastle despise each other. Everton, it's Newcastle, the, it's... Everton, Villa properly don't like each other for some reason. I think the Newcastle have a lot of what Everton want in terms of stadium, probably numbers that they get at the game, and I think Evertonians think they could do a lot with that. Had if we had it, do you know mm. what I mean? And I think it's that sort of thing, and. Uh, Newcastle have always been the side. Pardew as well always used to say, you know, we, we, we should be finishing above Everton every season and things like that. Uh, but I, I just think that just the way football is, and they they do have great fans, Newcastle, they're not going to deny that. The, 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 you feel sorry for them because of the situation in which they're in, almost like a QPR fan in, in many ways. Um, but 
you, I would like to see them go. I well, really would. The reason, but then again, I think Steve Bruce has got away with absolute murder a hole. So, but the reason why I, the, the the when when they went to a few years back when it was it was first under Ashley, one of the things about it was well maybe this will sort the Ashley thing out, mm. but it didn't because what they did was they just came straight back up. Yeah, it made it worse. And, really, he, and he and he 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 spent some money, and so on and so forth. And I think that's all that has happened again. I think Newcastle will come straight back up and Ashley will be back in charge, and then they, they just be the, we just be back on the loop mm. again, back on the same carousel. The only thing I would say is that if Newcastle do stay up and what I'm saying is right about Bournemouth Watford and one of the other two is that it might actually mean that Ashley's got to do it properly like he's got to think well hang on all three of them are capable of getting 40 points 40, maybe even 43 44 mm. points so I need to make sure we're capable of doing the same in order to in order to keep it safe this time around I've gone one too many times it might be that there's got to be a bit of a loosening of purse strings at Newcastle and actually running like a proper football mm. club yeah I also I was thinking with QPR going as well. It actually brings the Premier League back to twenty teams because they just didn't. It didn't feel real when they were there. It didn't feel a real game uh, when you played against them. It didn't feel like they were a real addition to any of the anything different that we had in the Premier League. I, I just thought they were an absolute waste of time. Uh, and I'm I'm glad they've gone. Obviously not for the fans because. They're the ones who ultimately suffer, but you look what Redknapp got away with there. Mm. But you look at the players they've got, Neil, it's just ridiculous to play a turnover. But the converse of that is Burnley, who I think you could yeah. see, could see uh, come quite strong in the Championship next season because they've. I think they've done it properly. They, they are doing promotion they've, properly. They've, they've kept Deitch yeah. as well. You know, they've done every single every single bit of it. They've kept fighting. They've kept showing spirit. They've kept showing togetherness. They haven't had to change the manager. And I think that there's, you know, you'd like to see them be able to put a, put a showing on next season in the Championship, and and then the challenge will be if they did come back up, that's the one that you've then got to mm. get right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad they've done what they've done this season because they've stuck to the guns. They haven't spent 